The Audacity podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we're recording on today, the Dharawal people, and pay our respects to all First Nations people, past, present, and emerging. We also acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. The Audacity podcast will start in three, two, one, and launch. Hello and welcome back. My name is Kat Sleeman and this is the Audacity Podcast. Now, this week I've got a jam-packed double episode for you guys exploring a bunch of subtopics and featuring some very exciting guest appearances that I'm so fucking excited for you guys to hear. Okay, sorry, I'll calm down. Um, Now, as you can tell, this is a long fucking topic. It's a big one, uh, which you can probably notice from me turning into several episodes. But I did that because I think that we talk about some pretty heavy stuff and I don't want to just hit you with that. So I thought that I would break it up into a couple of episodes so that you can listen to it at your own pace. So I guess break it up, listen to it over the fortnight and give your brain some time to take in the information. As usual, we go on heaps of tangents which is actually a clue to something that I've got coming up soon. Um, But yeah, so I'm kind of sorry for it being so long, but also kind of not sorry at all because content is king. So really, you should be thanking me. (laughs) Anyway, you can now also submit stories, questions and topic requests via the link in the bio at the Audacity Org on Instagram, which is so exciting. You're listening to the Audacity Podcast. So these episodes of the Audacity podcast are focused around male-dominated creative industries and the music industry in particular, uh, and I guess the prevalent sexism that resides in it. Now, this is a very timely topic, as you might have seen the Four Corners episode on the misconduct at Sony Music, and of course, everything going on with Queen Britney. Um, So there's a lot to unpack within this topic and a lot of avenues that we can go down. Uh, But in this first episode, we'll be chatting to a couple amazing special guests about what it's like being a woman in the music industry, but also touching on a very hot topic right now that is Rancid Eddie's blatantly misogynistic music and the fact that they still are being given a platform and being supported, which I think is fucked. Anyway, uh, in part two, I will be talking about music ownership and we'll be unpacking why Taylor Swift is actually re-recording her old songs. And going into the feud between her and Scooter Braun, which is actually juicy as fuck. And I didn't even realise just how many like holes there were to go down in this um, in this story. So I'm so excited for you guys to hear it because I want to talk about it. In part two, I will also be breaking down the difference between men sexualizing women and women taking ownership of their sexuality. All systems active. But before we get started, I thought I'd do a follow-up as I had some stuff that I wanted to quickly add on from last week's topic and also add some audacious things in the news that I think definitely need to be commented on. I was thinking of starting the episode with one of those, like, cute and perky, so how was your week conversations with, like, my roommate Emily? But then I was like, hmm, this isn't really therapy and no one really gives a fuck how my week was, so let's move on. But actually, before we move on, I will say because I feel like this gives context to my angst this episode, and I want to be completely honest with you guys as my listeners. Um, 
I'm making it out to be something really dark, but really all I was going to say is that I had a hugely anxious week, like irrationally anxious, like to the point where I had a bad headache the other day and I actually got paranoid that I was going to get foreign accent syndrome after talking about that lady getting foreign accent syndrome in episode one. I literally thought that it was going to be my bad karma for joking about it. I'm not even being ironic. I thought that I would wake up with a different accent. Anyway, it's fine. I think I'm just honestly a bit on edge at the current state of the world right now. Um, sometimes it gets a lot, as we all know. I think all of the stuff going on, uh, for me anyway, I have family in Lebanon, um, and that's kind of unsettling knowing what's going on over there. And we've just had the tornado in Armadale, which is also close to my hometown, Tamworth. Um, so my thoughts go out to all of the people that are affected by those tragedies and also other tragedies. Um, but yeah, sometimes it does get a lot and obviously doing this podcast and talking about some pretty heavy stuff. So I'm going to utilize the angsty energy and channel it into the rants. Uh, because honestly, there's a lot of rants in these two episodes, which I hope you guys like. Some people have said they like them. So, um, there were so many rants that I couldn't choose just one moment to be the episode's audacious moment. So I had to include them all, hence this episode being so long. Um, so anyway, also take me with a grain of salt because I'm pretty fired up. Emotions are coming in hot. Also sorry if I lose my voice at some point throughout this because I'm also recovering from my big night out on Monday still, even though... It's like at the time of recording this, it's way later than Monday, um, but the restrictions have eased for people in Wollongong, so I had a great night. I actually had the fucking funniest Uber driver that night, twice actually. The first time I had him, he wanted to do the Grace Kelly Maker TikTok challenge with me. <laughs> I know the one. Yeah. Okay, who wants to do that one? <laughs> the second time I had him, we did Uptown Girl. You know when you just fucked up though and like to gas up your Uber driver? Yeah, it was a lot of that. You should continue. I'm you not even. I'm that not. Shit. Yeah, I think people with the musical talent. I wish that I could like have that. You know. Me too. That's Me a, too. That's a lot of oh God bless him. I miss him. I wonder what he's up to right now. He was one of those people that was like really, really willing to sing for you. If you know what I mean. Like he made sure we knew that he sung. Hence why I feel like morally okay with putting in that audio. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so follow-ups from questions for women. There were a couple turn-ons in men that I did forget to mention. Uh, firstly, being confident. Not arrogant, but confident. I mean, I feel like we touched on that, but I guess worth reiterating. Um, so if you like a lady, tell her. You know, reach out to her. Make, make it known that you actually like her because chances are she won't fucking know. Uh, also, another turn-on is when they do housework and don't expect to be praised for it. Uh, also being in touch with your feminine side and not reiterating how in touch with your feminine side you are because once again, we will know. You don't need to tell us. And lastly, consent. Consent is sexy. Potentially the sexiest thing ever, actually. So ask before you touch, okay, lads? You can look at the menu, but you're not ordering until she says so. Stand clear. Now, there were a couple of things in the media that I honestly needed to touch on in these episodes. 
One of them will be discussed in a fair bit of depth later in the episode, so definitely stick around for that because we've got a very special guest jumping on uh, who's quite knowledgeable on the subject. Um, But before that, the first audacious thing in the media that we really need to talk about is Jonathan Thurston's welcome to country being cut off during the NRL grand final. Because no matter how unintentional it may have been, no apology was given. Um, So in case you missed it, Whoever was on the Orcs fully Kanye'd poor Jonathan Thurston and started blaring the Australian anthem before he even had a chance to bloody finish the Welcome to Country. Now, I saw a couple articles on this because I I saw it and then I looked it up because I was like, that was cooked. And then, yeah, there was like three articles and then nothing. Zilch. No apology from the NRL. Everyone forgets everything as per usual. This really frustrates me because if you want First Nations people to feel respected and valued, how about start by letting them finish speaking? If you want to cut someone off mid-speech, there's so many better places to do it. Like, fuck, go to Parliament House. Seriously, I'm, I'm begging you, if anything. Like, why is no one there to cut off Scotty from marketing when he starts talking? Anyway, the next thing in the media that I want to touch on, I was honestly so iffy about chatting about this. Uh, I would be lying... If I said I didn't call four people and ask for their opinions, uh, but they said that I, I should put it in and uh, like it's genuinely been playing on my mind for the last couple of days so much. Actually, last couple of weeks, so I need to address it. Fuck, no wonder why I'm so anxious. Listen to me. This is peak anxiety. Anyway, now I want to disclaim this right now. I don't want this to be an anti-vax spiel because I don't care. I'm fully vaxxed, had no symptoms, I'm Gucci. We are allowed to go out if you're double vaxxed anyway, so... Not what I want to talk about. Cool. What I do want to address in regards to anti-vaxxers is the appropriation and the co-opting of pro-choice slogans such as my body, my choice to fuel their protests. Now, I want to unpack this because at first glance, the argument makes some sense. Or at least you can understand how it makes sense to the person giving it. Um, But in reality, carelessly throwing around phrases about body autonomy belittles the actual pro-choice debate and it really overlooks issues surrounding pregnancy and fertility. And honestly, this is literally like saying all lives matter. It's ridiculous. So I want to read out a paragraph from Guardian journalist Eva Wiseman, who also had a really, really frustrated and upset response by all of this talk. Here's what she said when she saw the pictures of anti-vaxxers holding up the signs that said, my body, my choice. My body, my choice means nobody should force us to carry a pregnancy that we don't want or force us to have sex if we don't want to. While COVID deniers are slinging these slogans about bodily autonomy around in discussions about vaccine passports and face masks, they're still being used to protest government regulation around abortion. In Texas, for example, a law has just been passed that allows Americans to sue anybody that helps a woman get an abortion. If a stranger overhears you talking about your abortion, they can not only sue the clinic for up to $10,000, but also the parent who lent you the money for it, and the taxi driver who took you there. The phrase still has work to do. It's used in COVID marches with the grim implication that it's hypocritical to support the right to choose a medical procedure and also support public health requirements like wearing face coverings. Except, no. A person who doesn't want to be pregnant harms nobody by choosing an abortion. Making that choice does not result in her breathing abortions onto six strangers. But by refusing a vaccine, a person is putting others at risk. So I got angry. 
For decades, people with uteruses have had to put up and deal with inaccessible healthcare and old white men making the decisions about our vaginas and our sex lives. But as soon as those same people experience one hundredth of what it's like to have your body regulated, all we hear is whining. Unquote. So once again, this point is not about being anti-vax. It's about people appropriating and co-opting a phrase that women have fought for for so long that actually has a very serious and meaningful political background to it. I want to repeat a couple points that Clem Ford made on her Instagram in regards to this. I have paraphrased some of it, but uh, all of the parts that I think are really important are here. Co-opting pro-abortion phrases just to use them as a justification for not wanting to take a vaccine that will help prevent other people in the community from dying is not okay. The cis men in particular who co-opted and appropriated this very historically meaningful political rally cry are more often than not people who have never actually gone out of their way to defend the rights of people who want and need abortions. Actually, they're usually the ones chanting God is watching outside the abortion clinics. But... These people don't care about the true notion of my body, my choice. They definitely don't care about civil liberty. They care about themselves. And their willingness to co-opt a phrase that has not just political meaning, but that has decades of real political activism behind it and work from people who worked collaboratively and with community in mind, it's just disrespectful. Like I said, it's like pulling out all lives matter when we're talking about racial issues. It's not justified. Their co-option of this phrase is also very indicative of how very little they've ever had their lives and their bodies policed by the state. It indicates how much privilege they have in the world and also shows exactly how little they've ever had to care about body autonomy issues. And really it shows how the problem for them with vaccine mandates is not what's going into their body, but it's that someone has the audacity to tell them what to do. So that's all of Clem's major points, but... If you're a cis dude chanting my body, my choice, I really sincerely ask you, please find a new phrase. If you are a cis woman chanting my body, my choice, because you don't want to take a vax, as Clem says, you're slightly more right to use that phrase, but you're also mocking every single person who's come before you and fought for your right to make a choice about pregnancy. You're mocking the labor that's gone into that. You're mocking all of the people that have died as part of that process. And you're mocking it because you don't want to take the vaccine. So, anti-vaxxers, I really sincerely ask one more time, please find a new phrase. Okay, woo, the heavy shit. So, delving into today's topic, I think it's pretty blatantly obvious that uh, a subconscious gender bias exists within society. As Wangari Matai said, the higher you go, the fewer women there are. And I think that that summarizes it pretty well. We see it in almost every industry. Um, I can guarantee you, if you ask a woman if she's ever felt like she's been treated differently because of her gender in the workplace, chances are the answer will be which time rather than yes. Uh, We see it in our politics. We see it in our service jobs. My sister even tells me how she experiences it all the time working at a tile and ceramic wholesaler. So it's really interesting. Like, it doesn't really bother me, but... I don't know, just the industry's somewhat deemed like a guy's industry or whatever. So sometimes people come in to like something as simple as like how to tile or what colour grout I should go for. Um, So it's like, hi, how are you going? And then it's just they look straight through you. 
it's like, hello, like, how are you? Um, they're like, yeah, good. I just need to talk to someone about um, my bathroom or I need to talk to someone about whatever. Yeah, I can help you with that. And you just see them kind of like looking behind you. Like, is there is there a guy here? Like, there's got to be a guy here. Like, they look through the office, straight through me, spot a guy, walk towards the desk, ask the exact same question. Um, and then it's kind of like, yeah, I just answered that. Sometimes it makes you get a little bit bitchy and I guess that's where the (laughs) I don't know I don't know why but yeah I can I'm definitely capable of giving you the same answer that a guy's going to give you like uh, don't think there's any reason to be sexist and then in saying that sometimes people come in for design advice and look for a girl so I think it's just the society we live in so there's evident sexism and an underrepresentation of women in a lot of industries and of course I'd like to explore the unique experiences of women in different industries eventually but today I'm going to focus on an industry very dear to my heart which is the music industry. Now I think that this is particularly important because so many women I know didn't pursue a career in the creative industries because they didn't have the confidence due to this oversaturation of men and I think it's also important to note that this isn't just among artists or actors and musicians. It's also and especially among production staff, management teams and other creative roles which we will delve into today. But I guess um, I really want to touch on the music industry because it's easy to look at the front runners of these industries and think, well, women look like they're going fucking fine. Look at all of these boss queens taking over the charts. Hell yeah. But representation goes far beyond that. When you look at all of the credits from a production, whether that be an album, a music video, a concert, whatever. There's not just one name behind the whole thing. There's a fuck ton because obviously there's so many things that go into producing a piece of art or content to be consumed by audiences. On the top of my head, uh, sound, lighting, audiovisuals, marketing, managers, publicists, stylists, hair and makeup, props, set, pre-production, production and post-production teams, and the list goes on and on and on. I mean, I'm sure everyone knows that, but I just really want to reiterate it because, in my opinion, we don't really value the behind-the-scenes work enough. Analyzing now. Stand clear. So, research conducted by the University of Sydney's Women, Work and Leadership Research Group concluded that Aussie women still earn less than males do in the music industry. And they currently face gender inequality in two key ways. The first way, according to the group's uh, Skipping a Beat report, is who uh, makes it as a performing artist or basically who succeeds and thrives in the industry. And the second way that they face inequality is being who makes the decisions that impact the industry. So the report's lead author, Associate Professor Ray Cooper, says whether it be radio playlists, festival lineups, industry awards, major industry boards, male artists and voices overwhelmingly dominate the Australian music industry. Unquote. So women currently represent a third of all employed musicians in Australia, and the gap widens even more when you look at the gender breakdown for more technical roles such as sound engineering and music production. So the Skipping a Beat report also found that female artists receive significantly less industry awards than their male peers as well, and they're still underrepresented on Triple J's Hottest 100. And finally, men also hold the overwhelming majority of board positions in four of Australia's peak music publishing bodies. Now, something that I've noticed, and this goes for a lot of industries, 
But more often than not, if the inequality is in the public eye, only then will it be addressed for reputation's sake. But when the inequality is not in the public eye, most of the time it doesn't change. So what I mean by this is, if audiences are saying we want to see more women in the music industry, labels start finding more women to slot into these roles that the public want and that they know that the public will buy into. But at the end of the day, that really doesn't change the fact that a lot of the time it's a company made up of majorly men behind the scenes profiting off these women and their hard work. And also determining who makes it and who doesn't make it in these industries. So that's why I think that we need to have these conversations and really talk about what's going on behind the scenes of this stuff. Because if we don't talk about it, then we don't know, right? The Audacity Podcast. So to get some perspective on what it's like to be a woman in the music industry, I asked for some help from a couple of awesome people. Firstly, I'd like to introduce my current obsession, music-wise, image-wise, brand-wise, I present Wigs. So Wigs is a Brisbane-based, I'd say pop, synth, slash funk style duo made up of Hannah and Zoe. They have two singles out at the moment called Why and Red Hot Pants, and I highly recommend you go follow them and their music, because despite literally only starting during COVID lockdown, they have created such a distinct and unique brand and musical experience, and are defining their own genre of music in my opinion, which is fucking sick. So I sat down with Hannah from Wigs to chat about her experience as a woman in the music industry. But before we got into it, I asked Hannah about how Wigs came to fruition. Hello, Hello, lovely. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, I am Hannah. I am half of Wigs. Um, and Zoe couldn't be here today, but she is the other half. We couldn't be Wigs without each other. And we're a pop disco sort of... No, actually not disco. You guys are so awesome because I feel like you define your own genre. Like, I don't think I've ever heard anything like your music. That's, like, awesome to achieve as artists. Aww. Thank you. But yeah, I just say we're just like a pop duo, but we kind of like, we also have backgrounds in film and as well as music. So it's sort of just like this big, I don't know, like, it's like a persona. Yeah, it's <laughs> like an experience do... even, I would say for sure. Yeah, okay. Fuck yeah. And then, um, yeah, it's just, we also work with a producer who's called James and we, all three of us make the music together and we or combine our talents. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh my God, love that yeah. so much. So I um, guess where did Wigs begin? Like, how did you guys get started? How did you and Zoe meet each other? We met at film school in 2018 and we both, I feel like we were both sort of at uni, but we're like, what are we doing? Like we both liked film, but, and Zoe's definitely a filmmaker director lady and we were sort of just both there and I think we secretly always wanted to do music but um I mean we don't have a very musical past like I, I like to sing and I learned piano when I was like eight but I didn't continue it and sort of same with Zoe with bass um and we but we just knew like we're gonna make a band let's do it and it sort of started out as something that um we just kept saying, we'd tell people like, yeah, we're in a band. Um, <laughs> yes. but, <laughs> and I think it, we kept on trying to make little bands with our friends and it never came to fruition. I think we never really thought like, oh, we could, it could just be us too. Like it doesn't have to be a, 
big ensemble. Um, and then we were like, we've got to think of a name, but it has to be authentic. So it's just a long-winded story. But no, I love we it. would always, I guess the root of our friendship was getting dressed up, filming ourselves dancing in Zoe's room and then going out and like dancing all night. One day we were at her house and her parents were away. So I was staying, I was like living at her house and we were dancing, getting a bit tipsy in her room. And then all of a sudden Zoe like, is lying on her floor and looks under her bed and there are two wigs that we had never seen before and we're like hold up and then we put them on and pretty sure she still has videos of us like dancing with these wigs and we're like that's our name we're wigs um that is so that's amazing. how the name <laughs> that's how the name came to be and then last year we met jane oh was it last year i don't know last year we started making music with James and he taught us, he taught us so much and we're definitely only new to this. Like Zoe only really got really good at, she's amazing at bass, but she only really started playing during COVID last year. Oh, and that is played, incredible. Like, yeah, so it's been very quick and we definitely don't know what we're doing, but it's just fun. <laughs> If that is not an iconic origin story, then I don't know what is. <laughs> so how did you get into the type of music that you guys make? Because like we were saying before, it's, I guess, like a genre of its own. Like, what were your major influences? Because there were three of us that make the songs, it's kind of hard to pinpoint, but I think it's cool because we all bring something to the table. I think that's why it's sort of, I find it hard to pinpoint what our genre is, but um, speaking on behalf of everyone, I would say like there's very much a disco and soul and funk influence, um, especially because I didn't really know much about bass and I just sort of thought it was just this instrument that was just there and it was like accompanying the guitar in a band. And then I met Zoe and she introduced me to all these bass lines that like, led the song in funk music yeah and i was like oh okay so we our songs have very funky bass lines but then a more poppy sound probably because james really loves pop but also he loves all genres i feel like all of us love all genres but i think that's how it kind of melds and then i don't know i i guess i listened to a lot of pop music as a kid and like always wanted to be like a pop star so um sort of lyrically all the lyrics are very simple and very poppy and then I think we will add something to the table. Dude, that's a vibe. I love that so much. And I think that it's really important, especially like as an artist, to acknowledge and appreciate all genres. Because fuck, there's so many people out there that are like, oh no, I only listen to this genre or this genre. It's like, as a musician, wouldn't you want to like get so many influences from every fucking genre? Yeah. And even I think people shit, well, not anymore, but I feel like there was a- They shit on pop music. Pop. Oh, for yeah, sure, dude. I literally, in my last episode, <laughs> I did one, um, like two episodes ago and I haven't released the footage from it, but I will now. And it was like, it was, why do guys always shit on pop music? Or do they just fucking feel like they need to shit on pop music? Explain. Yeah, it's like they secretly like it. Here's what Harry, Tyler and Maddie had to say when I asked them this question. Why do men hate rom-coms and pop music? Or do they just like feel like they need to hate them? Like, the guys that I know that really enjoy pop music um, are very comfortable with themselves. Like, they're very, like, like they're very self-assured. So I think, like, the guys that don't enjoy pop music, um, I think they're just not comfortable with, 
you know, with you know the kind of vibes that that's putting out. You know, they want to feel they want to feel cool. They want to feel hardcore. That's why you see rap is like such a stereotypical like uh, like thing for guys to listen to. What men are you talking to? They're the best. <laughs> I have just come out of a, like a two-day rom-com bender. I fucking loved it. it I love that so... for you. <laughs> in regards to in regards to pop music, it could be seen as like we were like we were talking about like we were talking about before with a quote white girl. Yeah, status. yeah. They don't they don't want to be on they don't want to be on the same level as that. They might you know oh, I love heavy trance dubstep techno African jungle beat because it's. It's more defining on, you know, society's expectations of who I am as a masculine man. I love yeah. all that shit. If you love listening to, if you love listening to old school Kylie or Cardi B at the moment, then fucking do it. Each yeah. their own. You know, you're gonna get enjoyment out of what you're doing rather than what you think you should be doing. I agree. Very intriguing stuff. Hannah from Wigs also had a very good point that relates back to the underlying gender biases that many people are still yet to unpack. And society's tendency to ostracize or minimize anything associated with femininity. I also feel like women rule pop music, and that's all I'm gonna say. Ah, yes. Femophobia once again, ladies and gentlemen. The Audacity Podcast. Now, I was in a bit of a creator's slump this fortnight. Uh, I think I was hit with content shock, honestly, when I realized how many recordings I actually had to listen back to for this episode. And thankfully, I decided to cut myself some slack and save some of them for upcoming episodes. But in order to finish this episode, it did take a couple of late nights and a fuck ton of energy drink. So much energy drink that my friend Summer and I may have gone a little bit insane. But yes, if that's not insane, then me suddenly getting the urge to start a band at 2am definitely was. Okay, so all of this talk, Summer, of, okay, of <laughs> woman musicians is making me want to start a band. Yeah. Should we start a band? Yeah! Yeah! I'm on the tambourine! Maybe we could do like a Snoop Dogg-esque, like, like Christmas album. Production cat here. No one ever give me energy drink ever again, please. Okay, now on to the audacious moment of the episode. On the top of your head, can you think of any audacious moments in the music industry? Um, <laughs> one, I don't know if we should put this in, but also, like, it is such a hot topic, maybe we should. Um, but the rancid Eddie, you know, oh, for fuck's sake, yeah. I, uh... Okay, so at this moment, I was super glad that Hannah brought this up because this was the other thing in the media that I wanted to call out. Now, there are so many reasons why Rancid Eddie should not be given a platform, and I don't want to make this podcast about them because they don't deserve that shit. But I do think that this needs to be properly called out, and we need to unpack why this behavior is so problematic because there are still so many people enabling and justifying these people, and it's not okay, and it's really just disgusting, if anything. The audacity of that. The audacity, I, 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 sister. I'm glad you brought it up. Like, I had heard about it, like, a week ago, but 
I it was like through someone's story and they just posted like one thing and I was like ugh like they seem gross and then yesterday I don't know her name or their name but this person made all these stories and had it on their TikTok I don't know if you saw yeah yeah Nancy yeah, Shepa yeah. yeah 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 Nancy yeah and everyone's like the Nancy Drew <laughs> <laughs> yes um, queen and cue Nancy. My name is Nancy Shipper. I'm a singer-songwriter and I'm currently living in region of Victoria. I guess I make indie rock pop music. I'm um, particularly interested in a lot of female-fronted bands and artists. Um, and yeah, I guess I haven't released music in a couple of years. I kind of took a break to reset and also figure out who I was without music because I was doing music for so long that I was kind of just grew up known as the music girl so it's been really nice to take a break and kind of figure out everything else about me. I think it was really important for me to also like I felt like music was the only thing I could talk about or that's all people wanted me to talk about so yeah especially with this situation I don't think I would have ever done this if I hadn't have taken a break. Yeah for sure and like let's get into this situation because one of the guests that I had just like interviewed so one of the girls from Wigs Music um and she I was asking her about an audacious moment uh in the music industry and she was like the Rancidetti stuff and she said that Nancy Drew is on the case and now it's got like real valid like some real hard-hitting meaning to it hey yeah that's um iconic so for the viewers who don't know what's going on do you want to give some context to the situation um that's happened recently absolutely so brands that eddie are a band that have i guess been around for quite a while but they've recently been gaining some traction one of their songs called dry went viral on tiktok and um they've got a label management and they you know recently got rotation on triple j um and they're like plastered across spotify playlists and everything and so as this is happening a lot of information came out about the band and the things they're saying online and um yeah i guess when i read all that stuff it just kind of made me think hang on is this sticky fingers all over again why does this band have this platform that you know their impressionable audience can just kind of take in what they're saying and think is okay and start treating women like they're treating them and also like the all the stuff that they've said around culture i think it's just so important that everyone is aware of what these bands are saying and how that can influence their audience. Definitely. And it's like actually mind-blowing that this sort of thing and these sorts of people are being given a platform in this day and age. Like, it makes you think about the whole performative activism stuff. Like, you've got these supposedly really progressive, like, organisations and um, stations like Triple J, who are supposedly allies for women. Uh, And yet, why would you want to, you know, give people like this a platform? And why... In the first place, did you not think to, like, even listen to some of the lyrics in the songs before you give these people a platform or play their songs? Like, yeah. like some of these lyrics are blatantly misogynistic. Like, I don't understand how there's any question about it. I know, it's it's very interesting um, because I've made, like, quite a few TikToks about it. And TikTok is just such a strange platform. Oh, so strange. All these random people from God knows where just yeah. Dude, the um, rarest breed of people just come together on TikTok sometimes. Yeah. 
strange and yeah I, I just find it so interesting like I've just given up on replying to the comments and stuff you can kind of tell when someone has their own mind made up and yeah don't when the juice you. isn't worth the squeeze got it yeah but um even like especially like the women that are defending this band and saying oh it doesn't matter like it doesn't hurt anyone just don't listen to it um I just find it so interesting because why why would you want to support a band that is like this literally and I think that it's also a huge reflection on like society's and women's internalized misogyny problem and like the whole pick me shit basically and (laughs) wanting male validation or not being willing to stand up for other women when things are going wrong and being you know harmful things are being said about women and they're not willing to step up because they want to be a cool girl they want to be not like other girls they're chill and it's like no dude like some things are fucking wrong and some things need to be called out i don't know if you've seen um the tiktok trend but a few people have been making about rain steady and there'll be a lot of men kind of saying oh i just found out about misogyny and rancid eddie and all this stuff by the way i'm six foot tall and kind of saying like oh you should you know i'm cool because i support this it's like man totally missing the point fully it's honestly pathetic to see so many people following that trend and just talking about things because they want to be perceived a certain way literally and it's performative (laughs) activism isn't it like when when people will say things up until the point where it's like really calling shit out it's like where are you when that stuff happens yeah when people actually give a shit it's normally them who get the hate Yeah, I want to thank you for messaging them and actually confronting them with um, what they've done and, like, fully asking them to explain themselves because without that, we wouldn't have seen that they genuinely can't really explain themselves and that there's no there's no valid reasoning behind why they did it or there's no justification for their lyrics. There's no, no cryptic message or anything. It's just blatant ignorance. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was so strange. Like, I kind of just DM'd them thinking I might get a sentence back if that. And they saw the message, like, straight away and were, like, typing and then removed it and all that. And, yeah, I was just so gobsmacked at everything they said because I honestly was expecting them to come back with, like, a statement that was, you know, posted by the band's account maybe, like, the day before. But, no, you're absolutely right. It was just, um pure <laughs> there's no word for it hey eh? it's just ick oh. like pure <laughs> ick <laughs> i can't believe women are attracted to it them like as well that's even oh funnier to me i'm like people like yeah. them oh my gosh hannah from wigs also made a very good point I don't, it's, we're not going to make a podcast about him, but like even the fact that he said like, oh, I wrote this song about my female friend who felt like a cum rag. And I was like, well, you should have written it for her, sent it to her, like sent it to a female artist, let them sing it. Cause I guarantee you none of them would have just like, I guess someone speaking on someone else's issue or their life story. You know what I mean? Like a man speaking on a woman's issue that they've literally never experienced and obviously have not done any research into i think that's just the audacity definitely sister you've encompassed it well thank you (laughs) just on 
on um, the same topic, something that Kira Prue brought up, and again, I have so much respect for her. She's just an absolute queen. Queen. And at the forefront of everything, like 100% never would have had the confidence to put myself out there like this if it weren't for people like her and Camp Cope and Jaguar Jones. Um, she was kind of, she replied to someone that was pulling Rancid Eddie's music to shreds and, you know, saying, oh, it's a rip-off of this song. Or um, Also, lots of people commenting on Jessie's grammar mistakes, um, which I can see why. <laughs> I can see why the temptation is there to do so, but the fact is music is so objective and you're not going to call someone out for things like their music being shit in quotation marks mm-hmm. <laughs> or um, for making poor right for spelling choices. Um, but I think it's really interesting that people are focusing on these little things instead and it almost takes away from what kind of people they are. Because, I agree. Yes, it's about the music they make and we don't want to give these people opportunities to have a really big platform and you know, have big gigs where they're giving... Um, they're giving women and non-binary people an unsafe situation to be at or play at but it's not just about tearing the band to treads on their music it's about what kind of messages they're sending in their music and as people on social media and in real life well how are you feeling about it all like have you still been receiving hate and stuff like how are you coping are you okay yeah actually i'm I'm okay. I think it makes it a lot easier that um, the trolls are random people on the internet yeah. and a lot of the things they say don't incels. Um, and I also just feel upset for them that, you know, they feel that way and they don't get upset about this stuff. <laughs> and I guess, like, the support from the industry has largely been phenomenal and, um, yeah, I really feel like people have my back, so that's been really lovely but I I also just feel super overwhelmed because I I like this is very new for me to speak up about things I care about I'm not the kind of person to like hesitantly share a little bit um and honestly I was just trying to spread the information and make it accessible for all because I think sometimes when there's a lot of big words used then some people will just go oh that's I don't understand that so I'll just skip um and you know a lot of the things I was seeing were on Twitter and then a bit on Instagram so you know I just thought make a TikTok about it and you know because the song's going viral on there so I wasn't really like expecting this massive thing and then like again with messaging the band um so it all just kind of happened and yeah I just wasn't expecting so much hate and support at the same time and yeah, like, I was just like, this is a random week for me. <laughs> yeah, and what about, like, the people that have been supporting you? Has it been um, a balance of, like, different people? Has it been mainly women? Like... Um, I guess definitely women have been at the front. Um, within the industry, I will say that there have been some great men that have messaged me and, you know, asked what they can do to help. Um, and you know, even if it's not sharing it, it's doing something, so that's been really good. Um, it has been interesting though, um, 
because you can see who views your stories. Mm. So that has been very interesting to see the big artists, especially male, that are viewing the stories or the media platforms. I interesting. So there's lots of reasons people don't engage and speak up. But um, yeah, it's been very interesting because yes women are always the first people to speak up and then once it takes off then the males will come and say something because they don't want to get hate for not speaking up yeah Very and that's the thing and I, and I think another thing is like those people don't realize that everyone can see through it like everyone can see through that performative shit you know like when if you're if you're not you're evidently not supportive of something up until it becomes trendy, then like, yeah, everyone's seen that progression. I'm sorry, try again. As women in the music industry in general, some, like Dua Lipa, for example, has said that she feels that she and many other women that she knows have to work a little bit harder to be taken seriously in those industries. Would you agree with that? Like, do you have anything to comment on that? I 100% agree with that. I think that there are so many women that feel the same way. And it's just so normalised that um, they're growing up in a regional town and playing gigs, and it was just pretty much predominantly males. That was just a normal. So when I got to, like, the real industry, like, you know, in Melbourne and stuff, it was just kind of like, oh, this is just how it is. It isn't until people call it out that you realise, oh, this actually shouldn't be the way things are. Um, and I think as well, when when you're, like, an aspiring artist, if you don't see people that are similar to you, if you don't see that representation, then you don't feel like that is a space that you can be in. I think, um, like, that kind of ideal idea comes into like skating for example um like it's obviously such a male dominated sport and when women try to start they're often just told like oh like stop trying too hard you're a pick me or you know insulting them and they have to work so much harder and it's exactly the same in music and basically everything that is dominated by men and I think it just needs to change so much and like the comments I've gotten from men about like you know liking Taylor Swift or you know not constantly shredding and stuff and like there's times where myself and so many other people will minimize our production skills or industry knowledge um instrument skills and you know just tone ourselves down because we know we're going to get hate or you know comments made by males because they feel threatened when we do actually go hang on we actually know what we're doing so I think it's amazing that people are starting to become their full self and actually share everything and I think that that comment that you made as well all of that was amazing but that comment in particular (laughs) that you said about how when we don't see people that are like us in these roles then we don't have the confidence to go for those roles and that's so especially the case with people of color as well and also it rebuttals the whole argument of like if you wanted to be in this industry just go for it like women aren't in these industries because they're not going for it it's like i wonder why they're not going for it because when they do go for it yeah it's so much fucking harder i remember um i was reading a post it was ages ago but I always bring this up because I think that it is like it perfectly epitomizes how subconsciously we're treated differently especially in a workplace environment but uh 
This woman and a man worked in a workplace and the woman was getting shit from her boss because she wasn't closing client deals fast enough. And the male uh, colleague was, you know, closing them really fast, had awesome, like, clients that trusted him, blah, blah, blah. And the woman and the man were like, all right, well, let's swap emails for the day, see what the difference is. So by the end of the day, the man that had been in the woman's email had said that every single client that he had double, triple questioned him on everything. Wouldn't take his word for anything that he said as was as a professional. Um, wouldn't, yeah, trust his word. Wouldn't, um, yeah, that's it in a nutshell. Just, like, have to question everything. Um, and I think that that is it in a lot of industries. Like, as women, you're just not taken as seriously. I do not understand. Anyway, this episode's fun fact is brought to us by one of my OGs. Uh, someone whose One Direction obsession probably, I would say, met the same level of embarrassment that mine did. Uh, the one, the only, Nicola Nickelback Mooney. <laughs> so, Nicola hit me up with a fact that the longest piece of literature in the world is a Super Smash Bros fanfiction. Now, of course, like a good little documentarian I am, I did my fact-checking, and it turns out that as of 2020... Uh, this Super Smash Bros. fanfic had actually been surpassed as the longest piece of literature by a Loud House fanfiction called Loud House Revamped. If you have no idea what the fuck Loud House is, I didn't either, because it's some super mediocre, average as fuck Nickelodeon cartoon. Um, I think it's really random and niche that this is the longest piece of literature in the world, and it's also slightly infuriating that this overtook a Super Smash Bros. one, but anyway, we can't really do anything about that, so... Actually, now that I think about it, I did dabble in One Direction fanfic writing back in the day. So maybe I should have another crack. Actually, now thinking about it even more, maybe I should hunt it down and read it on here. No, I shouldn't. I should not do that. Anyway. Analyzing now. Stand clear. So we have reached the end of part one. Uh, I'd like to thank Hannah from Weeks for chatting with me for this episode. She is such a talented and beautiful soul, and I'm telling you, the name Wigs will be everywhere very soon. The girls have some upcoming shows in Queensland for the rest of the year, and Hannah says if all goes well with border restrictions, they're keen to do a nationwide tour as soon as they can. So keep your eyes peeled wherever you are. I also want to thank Nancy Shipper so much for chatting with me. It really does take a lot of emotional labor to continue talking about these topics, and Nancy's honestly doing God's work, speaking on behalf of a lot of women especially in her conversation with Shitty Freddy, or whatever they're called. Anyway, thank you so much, Nancy. I will link both of the girls' social media accounts in the description, and I highly recommend you check out their music, but once again, I seriously can't thank you guys enough. You're the best. Also, I'm sorry if this episode was a little bit heavy, but sometimes we're going to have these conversations for things to change, you know? Thank you guys for being willing to have these conversations because this is where the change begins, my friends. If we're going to start a revolution, we need to talk about it. <laughs> now, if you're not already following me on Insta, you can find me at the Audacity Org. You can now submit stories, questions, and topic requests via the link in the bio, so go do it. I'm Kat Sleeman. This has been the Audacity Podcast. Until next time, um, fuck the patriarchy. Sex not war. Remember to keep your minds open and, of course, stay brilliant. Shutting down.